The reason why I love consumer products in particular food and beverage is because it's so creative and the branding is so strong and the packaging is so strong. You'll notice I don't actually talk about the products themselves. I'm assuming that all tastes great. The problem is you can't patent a recipe and you can't patent a food. Obviously, the emphasis has to go to branding. What's up, ladies and gents? This is Alex Osterley, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Food Marketing Nerds. Now, whether you're thinking about launching a new CPG brand or looking for ways to differentiate a product that's already on the shelves, today's guest is a wealth of knowledge in the natural food startup space. We're talking with Pete Truby, who's the founder of Salzon Chocolate. From working at Mrs. Myers when it was in its early stages to being one of the first employees at Honesty, Pete has been a sponge, just soaking up information and knowledge when it comes to startups, entrepreneurship, and the natural foods industry. So today you're going to get to hear how he's applied that knowledge to bootstrap Salzon into a brand with national distribution. In our interview, you're going to learn why Pete believes branding is equally or more important than product value, what the pros and cons of taking outside investments are, how to compete in-store with competitors who have deeper pockets than you, and plenty more. And as you'll hear about in a minute, Pete teaches at a local university, so I think you guys are really going to enjoy the way that he approaches my questions. So let's get after it. Welcome to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast, where we talk marketing, branding, and social media with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Pete, thanks so much for coming on to Food Marketing Nerds. Oh, happy to be here, Alex. So can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background that led you to starting Salazon Chocolate? Sure. I've always been pretty interested in being an entrepreneur, but I didn't have a particular area that I knew I would start a business or try to be successful. What I did know about myself is that I was not a math and science or tech person. So when I grew up, you know, I graduated high school in 95, in case you don't know, that's the internet boom. So like when I was in high school, college, and right out of college, like all, any startup that anybody had ever heard of that was doing anything was in tech. And I wasn't a tech guy, but I'm like highly interested in startups. So I'm like, well, what, well, what do I do? So I was just kind of like looking around and was in a natural food store. And, and I tell everybody in natural foods, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a natural foods person, but I picked up a bottle of Honest Tea. And it really struck me. I like, really liked the branding. I liked that it was so different. And I turn it over, and the bag of it says Bethesda, Maryland. Now, I was in Annapolis at the time, which is, I don't know, it's probably a good hour away from Bethesda. But I was so shocked that like I thought it would say Colorado or Vermont or Maine or something. I didn't think it was going to say Maryland. And I said, well, this is my one chance. You know, and it was obvious they had just started the company. You know, you could tell it was like a year or two old or whatever. And I was like, wow, so this is a startup. And it just dawned on me. I'm like, wait a minute. There weren't a whole lot of consumer products starting up around that. And I happened on this bottle of Honest Tea and I saw that it was in Maryland. And then I just told myself that one way or another, I was going to find my way into that company because I knew that if I could get into that startup, then I, I could just learn. And I didn't want to know about tea. I didn't want to know about food. I didn't care about natural foods. I didn't care that it was organic. I liked the branding and I liked that it was a startup that wasn't tech. And that kind of like led me down this whole rabbit hole. And so what were some of the biggest takeaways that, that you picked up that helped you succeed in, in your current business? So this is a good story for people that are ever interested in like how to find a job. Um, you know, cause a lot of people ask me now sort of, you know, I want to work at this. I want to, you know, or what do I do when I get out of, cause as you know, I also teach in college. You know, how do I get this job or that job? And I said, well, I, I like to tell my honesty story because 
in my opinion, that's the best way to get a job is find a place you want to work and find a way in there rather than going, you know, applying online, you know, where you're competing against, to be honest, people that are probably have better resumes than you. Don't even get into that fight because you're most likely going to lose unless your just resume is just off the charts. Rather than that, you just find a way into a company that you think is really cool or you think fits. And there's a number of ways to do that. Um, I'll just tell you the way that I found my way in honesty. So I emailed them and I said, I love the product. I'll work for free, which you can do when you're young. So also called internships. But at the time, I wasn't asking for an internship. I was just saying, I'll work for free. He writes back to his credit. He wrote back, Seth wrote back and was like, I appreciate the enthusiasm. We don't really have anything here. Occasionally we have a need for people to do demos, which at the time I didn't really know what that was. So in the meantime, that wasn't, and I did need a job. This is, this is post-college. So while I'm keeping up this sort of email relationship with Seth, the founder of Honest Tea, and occasionally doing demos for them on the weekend, I worked briefly for a PR firm. So I kind of, you know, figured out what PR was all about, figured I didn't want to do it. And then I got a job in marketing for an Australian wine company. And, and again, I'm, I'm emailing Seth because that's my dream job is demoing for, for Seth, <laughs> apparently at this stage <laughs> of my life. But I did get this job in marketing for an Australian wine company, which was really cool. They're called BRL Hardy and Sons. They're now owned by Constellation Brands. This was an, the actual wine company's U.S. operations, and they didn't know where to go, so they set up an office in D.C. They were looking for somebody in marketing. I joined them, and I did that, I don't know, for maybe like four or five months and really enjoyed it and could have actually seen myself in wine. But it dawned on them after that amount of time. Number one, Constellation Brands was getting interested in buying them. And two, they were like, what are we doing in DC? <laughs> so they moved to California. Right about the time they moved to California, Seth, who'd known my way over the top exuberance about doing demos, which nobody likes to do demos, <laughs> said, we may have something for you in sales. I wasn't necessarily a sales guy, I'm more of a uh, marketing guy. But again, for me, I was trying to get into the company. I was trying to learn a non-tech startup. I was sort of willing to do whatever that took. Then I, right after that Australian wine company, I joined Seth in sales. And then where they needed, and again, this is kind of how life works, but you know, as a beverage company, you either have regular beverage, uh, what they call DSD, or you have distributor or natural side beverage. And he needed help on the natural side. So then that sort of put me down this path, working with him on the natural side and another lady that sort of ran their natural food sales. So when I started with Honesty, they had five people in the office. Last time I went and saw him, I think there was 105. Wow. This is all way, way before they sold to Coke. He was in distribution, but it was a struggle. So first of all, I learned the, the food industry. Um, I also learned, uh, you know, the startup industry and I learned sort of different ways to sort of try to get your business off the ground. And the honesty way is one way. It's not the only way. Um, it, in the end, it wasn't the way that I did with Salazon. Well, what I learned from Seth, I like to tell people is that he was uh, relentlessly optimistic. <laughs> you could have his house falling around him and he would still think that this thing's standing. It's not, it's not falling. You know, you guys are wrong. He was crazy optimistic also a very bright guy that can't help but rub off on you, um, particularly when you're interested in startups like I was and interested in entrepreneurship. And there were rough areas where, you know, he would have to go back to his co-founder and borrow money. And, you know, we were you know, down to the last dime and he'd have to run out and raise more money. And or we had a recall one time where there was actual shards of glass sealed inside the bottles. Ooh. 
and he wouldn't mind me telling this because it was a public recall because we had to do an FDA recall on it. I mean, these are the, some of the challenges you get. It, it was a crazy time. So it was almost, you know, intensive learning. And the other trick was that I knew uh, going in was I was going to, and this is another, for people that are interested in sort of in startups, and it's not for everybody, but one of the pluses is that you will invariably get chances to do things that you have no experience in and no right trying to do, such as <laughs> like, you know, product development, you, you know, or, you know, design when you're not a designer or, right. or in my case, managing the Midwest region for a natural foods brand when, you know, I think I've been there for like six months or something, you know, we, we ended up losing a regional sales manager, like, and I mean, we're still in Maryland. So I was managing the Midwest like way early than anybody would get a chance to, but that, that in turn helps you get the experience. Eventually you either figure it out or you don't, and you can go on and use that to your advantage. I learned a lot and uh, I enjoy myself. And then I, and then I did, um, I will admit at that point did really fall in love with the natural foods industry and the foods industry in general, because there was so much creativity in it and so much branding it turned out that is really the place to be in consumer products if you're interested in, in startups and branding. And then I ended up like really liking the uh, just the food and the people too. So something that you said kind of caught my interest, that there are multiple ways to start up uh, a natural foods company. Honestly, you did it one way. You did it a different way with Salazon. Can you kind of explain the, the differences between the honesty startup method versus Salazon and why you went the direction you did? Yeah, well, it, they couldn't be any more different, but it does not that one's better than the other. Seth's probably better. I mean, he and Coke can sit around and <laughs> and, and not argue that. Um, what I saw mainly was he was forced to spend, from me watching, I don't know the whole truth, we can ask him, but it looked like 90% of his time raising money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was super stressful because he was trying to grow really big you know, not, I wouldn't say really big, really fast. I would say he was trying to grow really big as fast as possible. And I can get into more of why I do think that that's sometimes really needed in food. So uh, I, I got it, but you know, it was, it was constantly about raising money. And then here's the trick. Uh, when you're always raising money, you're always going to have to deal with investors. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and there's variations between it. But I, to be honest, I would say that honesty is on the, on the far end of the spectrum of the highly leveraged with equity, always trying to raise money, always dealing with investor, all the way down to me where I'm bootstrapped and all the way in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really depends on how fast you want to grow. What do you actually want to spend your time on, you know, nine to five or, you know, whatever, nine to nine to two a.m. Um, it's a personal thing. And how big you think the brand could be, uh, how big you think that the exit opportunity could be, when the exit opportunity could be, you know, there's any number of different ways to do it. It didn't fit my personality to do it the Seth way. Obviously, it fit his. And again, I don't know if there's a right or wrong. Maybe I will sell to Hershey and make a bunch of money. Maybe I won't. But I don't know if I did it the wrong way. And you'd have to ask Seth if he thought in the end, would he do anything different, you know? Mm hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's an interesting industry as far as the profit margins and the way that you grow when you're when you're a younger company. If you are going for that rapid expansion you and hopefully large exit, you do have to show those high percentages in, in growth rate and to do that you need you need outside money. So it's uh 
it's tough. I've been in the industry for a long time and I've seen a lot of new companies. I mean, I'm way the outlier on that. I don't know if I know anybody that, and this is not me bragging, I don't know anybody that's had as much distribution as I've had without taking outside money. Everybody else I know, I mean, everybody has taken some, either sophisticated or institutional money. So because, like you mentioned, just because of the pressures of the industry are so tough and you know the margins are bad <laughs> and they're particularly bad when we start up. But if we get to my next job, which was Mrs. Myers, you'll see that she is one of those in-betweeners. It wasn't Seth and it wasn't me. And to be honest, that was, that's probably the best success case of something I've seen. Somebody just come in, you know, make a mark, change a category, exit, do really well. Mrs. Myers is a good example of an in-between. What would you say has been, aside from your, your learnings working at Mrs. Meyer at Honest Tea, what have been some of the catalysts to you being able to bootstrap and still have that broad distribution? Well, bootstrap is just because I'm stubborn, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, and by bootstrap, I mean, I took in a very small friends and family raise, basically my brother. Again, there was no sophisticated and no outside money and no money since I started in 2009. Well, some of it was because I was okay with growing slow. Some of it was because I knew what I was doing in natural foods. And I knew enough people you know, some of these guys that have a great idea, you know, I always say, okay, we, we've got grandma's sauce recipe and it's great, right? And we've got, there's two lawyers in New York and they have grandma's sauce recipe and they're going to take over the natural foods world, you know, be the next Rayos or something. Uh, the problem is they, they most likely didn't come from natural foods or even food or probably even consumer packaged goods. So they're going to have to pay more just because of the steep learning curve of how to get into distribution you know, how to get some sales. So, okay, I can save some money there because, you know, I was a national sales manager. I've been a regional sales manager. I've done marketing. Okay. So I don't need to, you know, either hire those people or pay the learning fee, if you will. And I can kind of figure it out. And I know, you know, I know some buyers. And so it was a, sort of a combination of being stubborn, knowing the industry really well before I started, not just sort of well, and having a product that at the time, was quite different, so it was easy to add. Now, you know, not so much, but, you know, welcome to food and beverage. Mm -hmm. So as far as learnings that you took away from from your past experience to what actually led you to, to start Salazon, what were some of the, the main things that, that you focused on when you were first deciding to, to start the company? Well, first, I, I needed an idea. I was comfortable working, you know, for these other startups. I basically worked for three consecutive startups before starting Salazon, uh, trying to learn the industry and just kind of waiting for the right idea to hit, you know, so I was just comfortable learning and waiting because you, you really can't do it without the right idea. And by the right idea, I mean, you have to have the right differentiation from competitors or it's just not going to work you have to be able to walk into a buyer's office and they're going to say, okay, well, what makes your product different? Call it an elevator spiel, call it whatever you want. But you know, that's the main thing. So, and I'd had some ideas before, but you know, I don't know. I either, and this is the other thing. It's like, you'll know you have the right idea when there's not even like a choice, you know, all the other ideas I'd be like, Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I won't. Well, then it's not the right idea. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, when I came up with the idea for salted chocolate, like it, I just knew it and like I knew I was going to try it 
I didn't know if there'd be a market for it, but I just knew that was the one. So to take you back, you know, so um, I'm in and out grocery stores kind of for my living, right? And the areas that I liked the most in food is I like cold beverages, like ready to drink, like honest teas category, and I like chocolate. They were the two most interesting categories to me. So when I worked at Mrs. Myers, okay, she did a great job, but it's cleaning, and she really changed natural foods, the, the cleaning set, but I didn't love the set, you know, so I'd go, you know, make sure Mrs. Myers is good. And then, but for inspiration on sort of who was doing really creative stuff and what was different, uh, well, beverages is number one. Beverages, a lot of times you'll find the most, uh, the newest, the most creative, the most competitive set in the natural foods grocery store is the beverage set. So I like to look at what's happening there because those people are going for broke <laughs> and it's competitive and it's hard to maintain and it's creative. So I kind of would just go check that out, try new drinks. But I also like chocolate because I felt like it was heading that way. So those were the two sets I kept an eye on. In the back of my head, I'm like, oh, my God, I never want to do a beverage. It's just, you know, it's just brutal. Um, and I'll tell anybody that, <laughs> um, including my buddies at Be More. Uh, <laughs> beverages is, is the worst category. It's also the best in some way, you know, in, in the ways that I was just explaining. But I really like chocolate. And I felt like it was going to turn into something. So Matt, this is I'm taking you back to like 2008 now. So don't think of the chocolate set you just saw last week. You know, this is this is a little while ago. And I was a fan of chocolate, too. I used to take dark chocolate with me hiking. I used to I just travel with it. So, you know, the thing that I would buy when I left the store after checking on an account was usually chocolate or a beverage. And that's it. I wasn't really buying anything else. So at the same time, there was the salted caramel craze. This is right around 08, you know, 07, 08, salted caramels became a thing, popularized by France in the United States. Salted caramels actually come from France, but they're not super old. It's more like the 80s. Uh, and they were like literally the square caramels, you know, 98% sugar and topped with a little sea salt. And so that became a trending flavor. Well, that's fine. There's a lot of trending flavors like chili lime, blah, blah, blah. But what happens with ideas is that it can kind of fester in your brain or whatever. I like the idea of a salted confection. What I didn't like was salted caramels. It's too sweet. It's not for me. And so I just kind of like mold that over. And I had chocolate and I used to take, you know, I'm also kind of a salty guy. So, I, you know, I eat pretzels or whatever. And salted chocolate covered pretzels do exist. And there's some salt there, but that's, that's not what I was talking about. And I just, after mulling it over enough, I'm like, why isn't there just like the salted caramels, just chocolate with a little bit of sea salt, which to me was so like, not to sound corny, but it was so like beautiful in its simplicity. I wasn't coming up with some crazy product that, you know, had quinoa and, you know, matcha, and, you know what I mean? Like crickets. Yeah, crickets. It was just a chocolate bar with salt and it wasn't there. It didn't exist. And I'll go to my grave saying this. That's when I was like, not only did I like the idea, I loved the simplicity of it. That's just what attracts me to, you know, the best ideas. So then I was like, okay, well, I love this idea. You know, I love chocolate, but I don't know anything about it. So I had to figure that out. But it wasn't a choice. I knew it when I looked for salted chocolate and it wasn't there. So, you know, I had this idea. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm going to do a, I'm going to brand around salted chocolate. I'm not going to come up with a chocolate bar and have it salt. I'm like, I, it's going to be a salted chocolate brand. So that was the idea. So when I launched, it was still the, the first bar, the first salted chocolate bar with just chocolate and salt. 
and I'm still the only brand and that's all I do, but that'll probably stay that way because who the hell would do just a brand of salted chocolate? Um, so coming into the buyers and I'm like, okay, well, yeah, you can tell me you have a million chocolates and I know you will, but you can't tell me you have salted chocolate because it wasn't there. And I know you don't have a brand that that's all they do. I knew some people in the industry and I was able to get in the door and I had a product that I thought was different. So they, they certainly gave it a chance to their credit. But that allowed me to sort of get the distribution. I, I had some core. I know the margins are horrible, but I could kind of deal. And I was okay with growing slow. So that, that allowed me to not have to raise money. And I'm not saying I was making a ton, but I also know how to sort of run it lean. Um, but that allowed me to sort of do what I was able to do. That's uh, it's crazy to hear that, that that you had the first salted chocolate bar because you look at the, the, the shelves now and yeah. there's 20. I don't know if there's that many, but there's a lot. And there's a lot. And that's what I love and hate about the industry. The reason why I love consumer products and particular food and beverage is because it's so creative and the branding is so strong and the packaging is so strong. And you'll notice I don't actually talk about the products themselves, like the actual taste of blah, blah, blah. I'm assuming that all tastes great. The problem is you can't patent a recipe. And you can't patent a food. And I can't patent salt, salted chocolate. So that's one reason why you talk to a whole group of people, you know, out in California, and they're going to hate this industry because nothing's, you can't protect anything and anybody can copy anything. And guess what? If salted chocolate tastes good, there's going to be 50 salted chocolate skews. The number one skew in the natural foods is uh, chocolate love salted almond. It's not my salted skew. And it was certainly launched after I did. But I'm kind of proud to say the number one skew in the chocolate industry, in, in natural foods, is salted. <laughs> so, again, that's kind of what I love and hate about it. So you can't protect it. So what becomes most important for all these companies, if you can't protect any of your recipes or ideas, which you can't, then obviously the emphasis has to go to branding. Because you know what you can protect? You can protect trademarks, you can protect logos, you can certainly protect your brand, you can certainly grow your brand and brand equity, and that's in the end what is valuable. Um, but it has almost has nothing to do with the product itself, which is why like some people have a hard time you know, getting their head around this industry, but it's also kind of why I love it. And in the end, people with much bigger pockets kind of pushing me around in the chocolate space, particularly and coming out with all their self, you know, that that's fine. That's still why I love the industry. It's 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 who can make a better product, but it's more you know who can make a better brand. As far as approaching building a brand, are there any key fundamentals mm -hmm. that you make sure that you you focus on, or that you focused on to make sure that Salzon had a uh, a lasting brand? Yeah, uh, don't uh, don't make as many mistakes as uh, I did. That's that's <laughs> that's my number one advice. <laughs> The weird thing is, Alex, like I branding is like what I consider myself good at, but I made a ton of mistakes, you know. So if somebody comes to me and, and they want to get into natural foods and then, you know, they have grandma's sauce, right? Immediately, they want to talk to me for hours about the sauce, right? And immediately I tell them I don't care about the sauce. I'm assuming the sauce is good. Otherwise, why would you be trying to create a company about it? Like, I don't know. I don't want to try it. I don't want to talk about the sauce because what happens is they end up going down the wrong road where they're too um, product focused and not brand focused enough. You know, who's going to do your design? Oh, my cousin's a designer. Okay, well, you got to stop them there. 
don't go to your cousin, the designer, you know, find somebody that knows how to do packaging design. And not only that, there's a bunch of different houses that specialize in consumer packaged good design, but is that who you want? Maybe you hire, you know, somebody that's in the outdoor industry to do your uh, design, but just find the right professional designer. Don't go to your cousin and then think long and hard. If there's any way that the package can be different, the jar itself. Okay. We got the sauce. Are you going to put it in, you know, just a regular jar, tall jar, plastic glass. Um, maybe the top can be different. Anything that could be different, it'd be helpful if it was more, could make it more useful. Um, but that's part of the brand. Okay. Then once we have, you know, a professional designer, hopefully we can come up with some kind of package that's different. That's going to make it stand out a little bit. Um, and then of course you have to tell a story in it and I'm not going to go on and on because anybody that knows anything about branding knows that you're trying to tell a story and create an emotional connection. And that's really what you're looking for with a brand is, is, is somebody attaches uh, emotion to a name or symbol, right? So really where the value is, is focusing on sort of how to get that branding to communicate what kind of emotion you want that person to have <laughs> about the product. And I know all that and I've taught it and uh, I still made a ton of mistakes. But really what I was trying to do was create a brand that somebody felt like was really trying to just be itself and own its small little place in the world, if you will. I don't even make milk chocolate. All I do is salted dark chocolate and all that brand is. So I wanted them to know the story of like this little company that's still little actually, you know, that started this trend. So it almost helps me that all these people came in and jumped on it because I want people to see, oh, well, you know, this little company that, you know, kind of gets beaten around. They were actually the first person to do the salted chocolate and here's how they came up with it. And really they don't, they don't do anything else. They're just like happy doing one thing. And it may not be good for somebody that's trying to invest in me because, because I'm, I'm sort of, you know, that's what I want the brand to be about is almost like proud of how niche it is. But that's what I was going for with the brand. And I just made a, um, I just made some mistakes along the way with packaging and, and whatnot. But, you know, I, it, there is emotion in the brand. And I did some things correctly. I did some things poorly. But, you know, we all learn, right? So can you can you tell maybe one of your bigger mistakes that you can point to and say, oh, I wish I would have done that differently and it would have made my life a ton easier? Yeah, just I, I tinker too much with the design. Well, number one, I use my brother. It's my cardinal rule, right? Uh, he's a good designer, but don't use your brother. To, just don't. I don't care how good the family is. It doesn't. Just don't do it. And then I just tinkered with the design too much. And I struggled with the fact that I really didn't want to be like every other chocolate bar out there. And like if it's cherry, guess what they have on the label? Like a giant cherry. And if it's almond, guess what they have on a label? A bunch of almonds. Like I was trying to just make it different. So I knew what I was fighting against, but I think I just went too far and confused too many consumers. And then when I sort of went back and forth with the packaging, well, you know what that does? It just confuses them more because even if you have the worst design in the world, there can be a point when consumers just are attached to that and you should just stick with it because that's what they've come to know. You know what I mean? So as far as as far as the branding goes and getting that the message out to your consumers or to potential consumers outside of the packaging, what have you seen be the most effective throughout your not just Salzon, but with with the, the past companies that you've worked with? I mean, obviously, everybody you talk to will say demos. To me, demos help, but they're also super expensive. And 
by now you know that I'm cheap and you know they, it's really hard to have them pay off the way that you would want. What is more important is merchandising. So that's where you are on the shelf. You know, so for me, I'm gonna be okay, I wanna be in the chop it set, I wanna be at eye level and you know, I want a sort of a brand block. So I'd like to have maybe like four or five cases together. Or say Mrs. Myers was a good example. So it's, it's uh, eco-friendly household cleaning, like a competitor to seventh generation. And her sort of claim to fame or what she really brought to the set was a high-end option. You know, she was using high-end essential oils on this makeup or, you know, cosmetic quality essential oils and putting them in, in cleaning products. Nobody had ever done that. In fact, it was crazy to do it because they're really expensive. So she would use these high-end essential oils with sort of great aromas and put them into cleaning products. Again, it had never been done. So the user experience, this is one, you know, the user experience was just off the charts because people would go to wash their dishes and had never sort of had that before and there'd be emotion attached to it. You know, I, I used to hate, you know, doing the dishes and this sort of, that changed that for me or blah, 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 you know, this is how people would get, come attached to it. So, no, she, so she had product innovation, which was great. And then on top of that, you know, design was good, kind of like an old school brandy design, you know, kind of text heavy. Uh, named after her mom. Okay, I get that. That was strong too. And she hired a, hired a very strong designer. And then what I thought really she did to grow the brand at a retail level, which is more what you're talking about, is in the past the set had always been dishwashing liquid goes with dishwashing liquid. And the laundry soap goes with the laundry soap. And the countertop cleaner goes with soap. Your brand is all spread out. Well, Monica was way more stubborn than I would and just would not go, would not put it into a store unless they put all of Mrs. Meyer's stuff together hmm. in what's called a brand block. And they're like, well, we don't, you know, we don't do that. You know, the dish up goes down here and blah, blah, blah. And you basically all be separated. But if you ever saw Mrs. Meyer's all together, it, it, it comes across as a super strong brand when they're all next to each other. The colors fit really nicely. So she said, okay, well, we don't do that. We, you know, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to grow this brand and people need to see it as a brand because it's new. So then she was like, okay, fine. Well, we can't go on the set. We'll do, we'll do a display. So then they would do these freestanding displays separate from the cleaning set, but at least she could be brand blocked. Well, the risk there is that, okay, you're not in the cleaning set, but the plus is it really does seem like its own brand. And then when you have your own display, okay, well, that can have a header card and that's growing the brand. Um, and that's the importance of merchandising. You know, So somebody needs to run across it. They need to see, well, wait a minute, this is a new brand that I've never seen before. And what is it doing? Okay, well, it's got lavender, you know, this, and um, lemon verbena countertop spray. And they, they can, they'll quickly put two and two together that, you know, this is what this is, is a premium option in the cleaning set with great aromas. Okay, I, I, now I know what this brand is. Whereas before, they, they, I don't know if they would have known that. So merchandising's key, any off-shelf placement, really that's what you have to fight for. Because if I can get a display of Salazon, that's off the regular set. Now, I don't want to lose my place in chocolate, right? So I want to keep that. But any off-shelf placement where you're trying to break up the concentration of the consumer, because otherwise you just kind of get faded into the background. But off-shelf breaks up their, their concentration. So then all of a sudden, if you see a, you know, a fall display uh, that the stores will do, and you know maybe my pumpkin bar is part of that, they might, they might have been to Whole Foods once a week and bought chocolate once a week and still had never seen Salazon. But if I make it into that pumpkin dis display, they'll be like, oh, what's this brand? 
So just to give you a, a different answer than probably some of the other ones you hear, I mean, I, I like to focus on merchandising a lot and how that can affect it. And then, of course, it's, uh, you know, just social media. And yeah, that is a, a different perspective. A lot of people will say demoing is the way to go if you want to get your brand out there. I figured you would hear that. And it's, it's good. It's just, I don't know. The ROI on it is tough, is tough for me. So speaking of which, social media is, is often really difficult to quantify ROI. Yeah. Are, you, are you guys able to, or what, is there something that you're measuring to, to gauge the effectiveness of social media? No, but we also don't spend a ton of money on it. So, <laughs> you know, that's the key. It's free. Well, it's not free, you know, but, you know, we don't spend a ton on SEO and it's not like we're spending a ton on Facebook ads and Facebook ads aren't that expensive anyway. So, no, I'm like everybody else. Do I really know the ROI on it? No, other than if you're going by likes or follows or, or, or whatnot. And you can see you know, where traffic's being driven to your website. But I do know, and I'm confident in saying that it's, a, it's an important part of growing the brand. I also like events. I think event sponsorships can sometimes be really cheap, sometimes just be in kind. You know, we've done a lot of things where I think it's my, it's my target market, and target market's a whole nother conversation, but, you know, if you're confident in your target market and you trust it, if you think your target market's at this concert, and they're willing to put you on the display for just donating, let's say, bars for, you know, all the VIPs or, you know, there's very few times I've really had to do cash. I'll do free chocolate for a lot of things, you know, events and aspects where I think it can get the word out or I think those people might in turn tweet about it or Instagram it. So with the the chocolate space getting, especially the, the salted chocolate, mm-hmm. that niche, obviously there's some bigger players that are coming in and, and it producing a similar product then it's yep. not the original but is, is there any way aside from social media and doing these events that you do now to differentiate and get the word out there that you guys are different and we're the original product wise for a while i was really stressing the original salted chocolate i don't really stress it that much just because that's to be honest it's kind of wordy to put on the bar to say the original salted chocolate we'll put it on the back somewhere but I, i'm telling you every every person that you may interview um, will have this same issue. All of these products, if they can't be copied directly, you know, they can be really easily copied close and indirectly. It's just a challenge in the food industry. And it's our challenge to, you know, either just grow the loyalty. I mean, there are still differences. If we want to get down to the product, you know, our still our, you know, bars are all still hand sprinkled with sea salt. I'm pretty sure nobody else can do that or would do that because uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and the reason we and the, and the reason we do that is because, um, in my opinion, it tastes better. So when you have the salt in the chocolate, number one, you have to use more salt to taste it, and you don't quite get the texture and the sort of combination of when salt is used on it. Just like salt, when it's used in your household, is generally considered best as a finishing ingredient, meaning like a little bit, you know, right before you plate the dish or right when you plate the dish. And the idea is to bring out flavors, and that's the way you do it is as a finishing ingredient. So that's how we use it on the chocolate. Um, also, chocolate itself, um, I maintain, is very good. So, like, I'm still confident in that if I can get people, if you know, if they tried to salt the chocolate bars right by each other, I think they would like mine better. The problem is, again, yeah, like you said, I'm going up against, you know, really tough competitors uh, with deeper pockets and more shelf space. And, you know, it's just easier for them to get that loyalty first. And it's always hard to, to, to win that back. So, you know, there, but there are still things I can do on the product side. I can, you know, I just, I, I came out with a pumpkin IPA spiced salted chocolate. 
and we're all small companies in natural foods compared to like Hershey and whatnot, but I'm small in natural foods. So one thing I can do is just be more creative with, with the flavors and I can still stand out and I am still the only like all salted brand. So if I can, you know, still have creative flavors, really what we're focusing on now from the product side is uh, more seasonal offerings that are kind of off the wall. So I think that can grow the brand and still be different enough. And then of course I'm just, you know, I need to fight to be known as the salted chocolate brand. And that's an every day, all day, um, in the store online, you know, if I'm known as these, you know, whether or not you like it or not, I should be known as, Oh, that's the salted chocolate brand. You know, <laughs> whether, whether you're not, you like Uggs or not, and Uggs are, somebody could easily copy Uggs, you know, Ugg the boots. Mm-hmm. I like to bring them up because, you know, they are what they are. And can other companies make furry boots? Yeah, you're damn right other companies can make furry boots. <laughs> but, you know, they, you know, they're known for what they're known for. And that's, that's kind of what I want Salazon to be. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly okay. If you, you can take this away from the interviews that I'm okay being like a one trick pony um, in that all we do is salt the chocolate because I think in a, in a low barrier to entry you know, industry like we're in, in my opinion, that's the best way to succeed is be good at one thing and, you know, make it your thing and be, and do it the best. And I still say we have the best salted chocolate. Uh, there's just a lot of it out there now. You obviously have your hands full with, with Salzon. You're uh, you teach at a, a university. How, mm-hmm. how do you, is there anything that you do on a regular basis to help you stay productive and on top of your stuff? I really try to do the, you know, don't check your email thing. And because emails will derail you you know, finding good people to help. That's, that's also, uh, that's also important. And I, people uh, that I trust. Is there anything, any books that you recommend to people that you, you know, in marketing or, or your students? Yeah, my standard ones, I do like the four hour work week. Tim Ferriss has some good stuff and, and he's very prolific, but the first half of the four hour work week really helped me a lot. One of my favorite marketing books is called the 22 immutable laws of marketing. Al Rees, I believe is the author. I like the five dysfunctions of a team for management style and just sort of, that's about it off the top of my head. Um, Blue ocean strategy is a strategy I like. So as a, as a business owner, do you subscribe to the, the four hour work week? Do you think that's ever possible? No, I don't. Um, and that, that's my point that I tell people, it's like, don't read it like that. But what he's trying to do is get you to think about things in a different way. Pete, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Uh, I can definitely tell that you have that that teaching side because there's a lot of things that you you taught me and I'm I'm sure our listeners gained a lot of knowledge from from you as well. Anytime. So where can people go to find out more about uh, Salazon and and what you guys have going on? Salazon Chocolate or SalazonChoc.com, Facebook Salazon Chocolate, Instagram Salazon Choc. So just kind of it's kind of short for chocolate. So S A L A Z O N C H O C. And if you just do contact at Salazon Choc, that goes to me. So if anybody has any questions or anything, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Pete. All right. Thanks, Alex. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Food Marketing Nerds Podcast. For interview transcripts or to download your free social media ebook, check out foodmarketingnerds.com.